0: Well, uh, good to be with you this morning. As Craig mentioned, I did as your interim pastor, I guess it's been about eight years ago now, uh, right before James came. So I feel kind of connection with you all from that. And uh, and then James has been nice enough to ask me to preach two, three times over the years. So uh, I've kind of maintained that connection and then I, I feel an additional connection, it's a newer one uh, uh, for you all, in that my wife is the executive pastor down at uh, the Bethany Community Church at uh, you know headquarters down at, down at Green Lake, and we live down at Green Lake now, and uh, I'm very involved in that church. And it's what, been a month or two now that you have one of the Bethany campuses meeting here. I saw Travis and the, the gang earlier uh, so that's just an additional kind of fun connection for me to be in this uh, place in this space with you today and I actually commend both churches you and Bethany Eastside for, for kind of creating that partnership I think it's great stewardship of God's space and uh, only enhances really the ministry of Christ in this place so god bless you and i pray god's blessing on on that partnership probably a few wrinkles you know to still be worked out would be my guess just logistical type stuff but uh good job on that uh what i uh want to do today in my message is actually focus on communion focus on the lord's offer and uh I knew it would be a Communion Sunday, and I thought this would just be uh, sort of hopefully edifying and encouraging for us to do as we prepare to receive communion. It's interesting to me, and I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 11 in just a moment, but in that that portion of Scripture, Paul actually warned the Corinthian Christians to not receive the sacrament in an unworthy manner kind of a little red flag, you know, popping up, like, when you come to the table, do not do it in an unworthy manner. Now, uh, what strikes me as at least mildly funny is that in the original setting in the Corinthian setting, what was happening was the church was gathering. And it was more of a a meal they would share not just uh, the symbolic bread and cup, but it was as if They were sharing a meal and those who had the resources were overeating and over drinking, even to the point of drunkenness. And that's what Paul had in mind when he said, you know, don't, don't be doing that. In fact, he even sort of uh, said to that Corinthian church, and I'll paraphrase a bit, he said, uh, you know, sometimes it would be actually better if you just didn't meet as a church, which is a pretty harsh harsh thing to say about a a Christian fellowship. Um, But for me, as I was thinking about communion, um, it's probably not the, you know, sort of riotous partying and debauchery that's that's our problem today. Um, It's probably the other end of the spectrum, if you're tracking with me. It's probably some sense some way shape or form that we're receiving the sacrament but we're we're just kind of going through the motions and we're not really thinking about it and appreciating spiritually theologically what what is happening at the table we we do it once a month but do we think about what we're doing, you know, I brush my teeth at least once a day. I don't really think about what I'm doing when I brush my teeth. I just brush them. Um, and so, what I want to do for us is uh, is just kind of I, I would call it a refresher course on the Lord's Supper, on what it is we're doing when we come to the table. Uh, what we are being given by the Lord when we eat the bread and drink the cup. So that will be our, our focus today. Let me read now our scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word of the Lord. My, excuse me, my sermon title is, I believe, printed in your bulletin is past, presence, future. Past, presence, future. And I'd actually like to start with that middle term, presence, because it syncs up better with the, the order of uh, our scripture text that I I just read. So first uh, presence in verse 24, Jesus taking ordinary bread, just ordinary bread saying, this is my body. This is my body. Now Christian theologians have sort of, wrestled with the meaning of that little word is for millennia, going on two millennia now. And the spectrum is kind of the the Roman Catholic understanding of is, namely that in the Eucharist, that bread actually becomes the body of Christ in some mystical way. It is Christ's body. The other end of the spectrum would be, well, it reminds us it's a it's a it's a commemorating of the body of christ but all would agree all christians at all times throughout the ages would agree that however mysterious and profound when we receive the sacrament we are receiving christ when in the presence of the bread and the cup with a posture of faith and prayer in our hearts. When in the presence of the sacrament, we are in the presence of Christ, Christ himself. And for Paul, this was so key. And this is why he was concerned about uh, this raucous behavior in the Corinthian church. They were, as I mentioned, they were coming together for the Lord's supper, coming together to be in the presence of Christ, and we're winding up overeating and over-drinking. In fact, another kind of funny line in the text is Paul writes, don't you have homes that you can do that in? He doesn't so much critique the overeating and over-drinking, but it's like, please do that at home, not when you come together as a church, as a church family. Point being, don't receive the the sacrament in a manner that's unworthy of the lord it's it's more it's more important and serious and even somber of an occasion for that now again our our situation is probably different today i preach in a lot of different churches been a pastor a long time i see very little drunken debauchery going on During communion services, I just, I want to report that to you, uh, report that to you this morning, but uh, maybe we're just at the other end of the spectrum, and it's actually just as problematic. Um, In other words, when we receive communion in just sort of a thoughtless, mechanical, going through the motions kind of way. Are we not, in a sense, just as guilty of profaning the body and blood of our Lord, to quote Paul? Think of it this way. Let's say a group is listening to a speaker. Now, I know it's funny for me as a speaker and you're a group to use this analogy, but, but bear with me here. Let's say a group is listening to a speaker. Which is ruder? Which is more rude? for two people to be talking to one another while the speaker is speaking, okay? Or for somebody to doze off and fall asleep. Well, the you would say the answer is, well, it, they're both kind of rude, right? Talking to your neighbor is rude, falling asleep and, and catching a few Z's while the speaker is speaking is rude. They're very different behaviors, Two people talking one individual dozing very different behaviors but they're both rude again paul was addressing a corinthian situation with this drunken debauchery going on are my i should just personalize this whole whole thing the problem i have again is not the drunken debauchery in church it's I'll do communion and not really be thinking about what it is I'm doing. So step one for us in receiving the sacrament is to remember that that it's mysterious, it's profound, it's 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 an article of faith, but we affirm it. When we come to the, the bread and the cup, we are coming to Christ. We are in the presence of of christ with us today he promised to be with us especially when we gather and we take him at his word so presence that's the the first my first point today presence uh second one uh second term is past past verse 26 paul writes for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes for the apostle paul the death of jesus on the cross was absolutely of central importance why because on the cross god remedies our sin problem god remedies our sin problem the greek word for sin is hamartia and it literally means an arrow missing the mark. If an archer shot an arrow and the targets that post, it's the arrow not hitting not hitting the post. And beginning in Genesis 3 and stretching through our lives this morning, we human beings have this bent this bent that the Bible calls sin, this bent away from God's best for us. We miss the mark. We have a bent that leads us away from the abundant life, from the blessing and the joy and the peace that God created us to enjoy. We think we don't need God. We think we can figure things out on our own. Thank you. And so we separate ourselves from our Creator and the life He intended for us. And both the Old Testament and the New Testament speak with one voice on this, the result of that bent away from God, I don't really need God. Thank you. The result of that is death, a spiritual death. And the cross is God's remedy for our sin problem. Listen to this: Second Corinthians 5:21. Paul writes, "For our sake, God made Him Christ to be sin." To take it on himself, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. It's as if there's this big exchange, this big swap. The sinless one dying on the cross, not for his sin, but for our sin. And we receiving the righteousness of Christ. The Lord's Supper portrays Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. This is my body broken for you and for me. This is my blood shed for you and for me. Remember, Jesus' suffering on the cross again wasn't for his sin, it's for our sin. And so when we celebrate communion, we proclaim the Lord's death. We say this particular death, roughly 2,000 years ago, is the decisive event with respect to our relationship with God. Each year, and I'm going on, oh, six or seven years now, I listen to a podcast or you can get this from a website or an app as well. It's called daily audio Bible. And I highly recommend this. You could even, you could even start it now. I know we're in February. What DAB does is it's host, uh, Brian Harden uh, sort of takes you through the whole Bible in a year. He'll read old Testament, new Testament, Psalm and proverb. And it's just, uh, again, you listen to it and, uh, It's fabulous. You feel so proud of yourself at the end of the year (laughs) to have heard the whole Bible because many folks, many folks think, you know, I should read through the Bible and you get to somewhere in Leviticus and you just bog down and you quit. That's very common. People set out to read the Bible and wind up feeling uh, like a failure because they don't make, most people don't make it all the way through. Daily audio Bible, great tool. You just press play and listen, either an app or a podcast or a web, a website. But I mentioned this because in the Old Testament reading, like as of right now, today, uh, we are in Exodus and we've just gone through, you know, the 10 plagues and Moses to Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh relents. And the Lord says to Moses, okay, you you mark this day. You, You mark this day. Because on this day, the Lord passed over all the Israelites and set you free and led you, started your journey to the promised land. And Jews to this day celebrate Passover. Jews to this day will say that event is key for us. In and through that event, the Lord set us free. The cross is the world's Exodus Passover event. In the cross, potentially, by faith, God sets us free. And so in the sacrament, we proclaim that great reality. That our sin problem is addressed by God himself through his son and his death on the cross. That our sin problem is not overcome by us working a little harder at it or resolving last this past January 1st to be a better person. Our sin problem is resolved decisively through the blood of Jesus. Through his broken body. And so in the sacrament, we proclaim his death. We say that death is decisive and we will remember that death. I was so glad. I don't know who picked the hymns for this morning. Was that you, James? Well, kudos to James. I had printed in my notes here the words to when I Survey the wondrous cross. And then we, we sang it, so I don't have to go through it with you again but there there it is yeah when when i survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died who did he die for not himself or for god he died for us and that's why that hymn is is so powerful so in communion we remember we look back and we proclaim god's saving act in jesus christ the cross that's past. So presence, God's presence with us, Christ's presence with us in the sacrament. The past element, looking back, and the future component. And I reread verse 26 uh, with a little different emphasis. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. We just talked about that. Until he comes. And that's a future orientation this future event the cross is in the past the return of christ is in our future and in my opinion and again with some of this maybe i just need to say you know maybe it's just me but in in my opinion future piece of the timeline not only with respect to communion but just our general christian outlook viewpoint preaching, teaching, um, this future piece of the timeline is one of the least talked about things in the church. And and there are a number of reasons for this, and I'll get to those in, in a minute here. Um, but we're, we're comfortable talking about uh, Jesus back then. We're good with that read the gospels, we'll talk about Jesus back then. We're comfortable uh, uh, talking about who Jesus wants us to be in the here and now, wants us to make a difference and do ministry in the here and now. But it feels to me that we hear very little about history's end point, the return of Christ, the ushering in of the new heaven and the new earth. It's interesting though, when you read the New Testament, you find that future orientation everywhere. It's not just uh, here and there. You read through the Gospels and Acts and the letters. It's everywhere. Philippians 3.20. But our citizen citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. John 14.3, Jesus said, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, future, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then in both the Apostles Creed and the Nicene Creed, and he will come again to judge the living, and the dead. Really, this is kind of the anchor of our hope as Christians. This life, with its joys, its sorrows, its victories, its defeats, the good, the bad, the ugly, this life is not all there is. There's a life to come. We await a Savior. We await that Savior restoring the paradise that has been lost all tears wiped away all wrongs righted god's new creation the fulfillment of psalm 16 in god's presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore the return of christ will usher in that time like i said this final piece this future piece I think gets underplayed in our preaching teaching and theology today and and why is this and here's my my sort of stab at it Uh, one reason would be I think some churches and this is less common today but in some churches the foretelling of events has kind of been taken overboard and uh, there are certain theologies that can try to read the signs of the times and predict, you know, when Jesus is coming back. And that predict prediction business is just kind of a, a dead end because Christ himself said, don't, don't you be all about predicting when I will, will return. So some churches go a little nuts with that stuff, my word, um, and therefore many kind of shy away from it. Uh, another I think another reason uh, it's just the case, as the Apostle Paul put it, we, we see through a glass dimly. We don't know, as I just alluded to, we don't know the timetable. we don't know the details. Uh, even though this endpoint, the return of Christ, is talked about everywhere in the New, New Testament, it's often framed with poetical, Uh, or imaginative language it's not literal it's not literal like when jesus said in my father's house are many rooms and i i have a place i have prepared a place for you well is there a house some you know we say no it's not like a literal house it's metaphor it's symbol it's not it's non non non-literal um and so this by necessity is the type of language that scripture uses to talk about this future event. They'll take scripture will take the language of this world and it's kind of like they scripture says and the future will be kind of like this. Like Jesus has a house and he's prepared a room for me. I like that. But it's not lit, literally a house. It's figurative language and I think sometimes when language gets symbolic and imaginative and figurative well we sort of shy away from it you know it's open to too much interpretation and it's you know a lot of people say I don't well I don't even read that book of Revelation it's so crazy and it is crazy language it is but it's the language that the writer uses to try to get at what's coming. It's non, non-literal. And then finally, I think we shy away from this future work of God because it can sound escapist. can sound escapist. I don't know if anybody actually says this anymore, but there's an old saying that so-and-so is so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Have you ever, ever heard that? So heavenly-minded, They're no earthly good. And none of us want to be no earthly good, right? We want to contribute and make a difference. Um, You know, aren't there enough problems to be solved, good works to do, that will take plenty of our time? Why sit around thinking about heaven or the return of Christ? Well, I think it's that vision of a future, of our Lord returning to us that can empower our life in the here and now as we meditate on that day that is coming it can bolster our faith it can it can steal us in our resolve to make a difference in this world even with the challenges that life presents us the apostle paul in 1 corinthians 4 Uh, verses 16 through 18, writes this. "Uh, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. By outer self, he means kind of life in the here and now. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, again, the challenges that he's facing in the here and now is preparing us For an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are. As we look not to the things that are seen. But to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen. Space, time, reality, right in the here and now. The things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal C.S. Lewis liked to say that you know it's now that we're living in the Shadowlands the full reality life in its fullness is what will come when our Lord returns so again Presence, the risen Christ meets us, is here with us in the bread and the cup. Past, we proclaim, uh, we remember and proclaim his atoning sacrifice, his remedy for our sin problem. And then, future, we live this life mindful of our Savior's promised return and encouraged by a vision. Of life to come let's join our hearts in prayer so Lord uh, we pray your blessing on us on us this morning as we come to your table Uh, may the words of the scripture stir our hearts uh, stir our faith may we uh, meet you in this sacrament today and receive from you all that you desire to give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.